0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Oh, Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud,
1: talking
0: proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. The good life that you share with nice people who care. It's time to
1: Alright, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 281, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, I am going to have one of my favorite all-time guests with me. Host of the Bruce exclusive podcast. Of course, I'm talking about Bruce Nolan. And (laughs) I'll tell you what, if you know me, if you've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, you already know how I feel. But just in case you haven't, I'm going to say it yet again. I think, and this is my personal opinion, that Bruce Nolan is quite literally the best Buffalo Bills podcaster in the game today, period, end of story, mainstream media Alternative media does not matter when it comes to Buffalo bills, knowledge, when it comes to football knowledge, when it comes to being completely objective, when it comes to articulating his thoughts to a widespread audience, I don't think anybody out there is better than Bruce. And I really mean that I'm excited to have him on and it's an exciting time again. I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. Happy New Year, everyone. And it's a new day for Buffalo Bills football. I mean, this team is just so good. They really are. Bruce and I will spend at least a few minutes anyway talking about Sunday's big win over the Miami Dolphins to lock up the number two seed in the AFC. Take a little peek into the playoff game next week against Indy. But beyond that, we're also going to do, and this is going to be, every time I have Bruce on the show, I kind of like to do something a little bit different with him. And that's what we're going to do today. So I have a best of 2020 themed episode with Bruce. We'll go on some Buffalo Bills topics and we'll also do some fun and random categories as well. So basically a best of 2020 with Bruce Nolan. Really looking forward to that. And again, I'll have Bruce on in just a quick minute. But before that, you know So I got to say something real quick here and then I'll get going. I don't want to waste too much time here at the top. I like to reflect on this podcast, or I like to reflect basically on everything I do in life, good or bad. And this podcast has been around now for nearly three years. This is episode 281. Started this in February of 2018. We're now into 2021. So I guess technically this is the fourth year that Talking Buffalo podcast has been on the airwaves. As I reflect back, I was very happy with 2018 and very happy with 2019. But I'm going to be completely honest with everybody right now. I'm not that happy with the job that I did last year, this past year, 2020. Pretty mediocre. I'm just, I'm not happy. I feel like, and don't get me wrong, I had some very good guests on and some good moments, some good episodes, but I also feel like I was on cruise control as I look back. I didn't really put my foot to the gas. I really didn't do anything specifically in terms of working hard and promoting and just doing innovative new things to make this podcast better than what it was going into the past year. And I'm not happy about that. So I am very, very committed just for everyone out there, my regular listeners, which again, I'm so grateful for every single one of you, but I am very committed to taking this podcast to a whole new level in this year, the year 2021. I'm going to get kick-ass guests more regularly. Guys like Bruce, again, I've had Bruce on many times, but I'm gonna work really hard to consistently get good guests on. I'm gonna work hard to start having some fun new segments. I'm definitely gonna be adding some video elements to this podcast pretty soon. Right now, it's audio only. I plan on doing some stuff with YouTube. That's definitely going to be happening. And who knows? I might even be back in Buffalo by the summer. It's not official. I don't want to say it's official yet, but I'm working hard towards that happening. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, Just stay tuned. In the coming episodes, I'll have more details. But again, I got a lot of stuff cooking, a lot of things in the oven right now. And as a, start to come to fruition, I'll talk about them a little more. But anyway, very committed to making this podcast bigger and better than ever in 2021. And again, now that I got that out of the way, I don't want to waste any more time here. Let's just get right into it. Again, very excited to have Bruce Nolan on and we got a lot to talk about. So here it is, my chat with the Bruce exclusive podcast host, Bruce Nolan. All right. First show of 2021. I am joined by literally my favorite guest in the history of this podcast. My man, Bruce Nolan. I looked it up, bro. Seven and a half times you've done this podcast for me, man. I appreciate you. What's going on, buddy? Dude, it's a party. Wait, hold on. I did it a half a time? Seven and a half times? Well, I count a half because the first time you were ever on, you and Nick were on together Without the Nick and Nolan show, oh, so I only okay. give you credit for a half there. I had just seven times solo, and then, like I said, one half. How are you doing, though, buddy? How, did you enjoy your new year? Yeah, it was
0: all right. You know, old people stuff. Just, uh, you know, eating my grape nuts, going to bed early, you know, tucking myself in, wearing stocking caps. Typical old people
1: stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to talk. Listen, we're, I've advertised at the beginning. We're going to have, like, kind of a little best of 2020 segment. Got a couple things that I want to get to before that though. And one of them is the podcast. Now everyone knows the Bruce exclusive is doing really well. I was, I'm, I'm always impressed with you continuously. You know that, but this holiday season, I was particularly impressed because a lot of podcasts kind of take a little bit of a break. I know I did and shut it down or at least dial it back a little bit over a holiday season. But you didn't, man, you were a machine. You come out every Thursday and Friday and you took the time to record, and you were banging out episodes, man. You're like a like a machine. Don't stop. For me, it's a matter of doing what I said I was going to do. And if I
0: tell you that I'm going to be in your feed on Thursdays and Fridays, then I mean exactly that thing. And if by some chance I am unable to meet those requirements, then my listeners should know ahead of time. I should be able to tell them, hey, I'm not going to be there. I'll give you a great example. So one of the plans tentatively for this off season is that I'm going to take a couple weeks off. However, I'm going to pre-record, I don't know, four, six episodes maybe and get them lined up so that when I take my vacation, my episodes are still coming out. So I'll take a week and I'll record, you know, six episodes or something like that. And I'll just set them out to go ahead and record and automatically drop on the days when they're supposed to drop last year in the off season, I did a podcast series called football myths. It was about things that we have generally accepted to be true in the football community that in my opinion are not, I can do that type of thing again, this off season and take some time off. But I think the consistency is one of the things that has helped me in this process. So I you're gonna to have to pry that from my cold, dead fingers, you know what I mean? Because I'm a man of routine, I'm a man of structure, and if I value it, then I'm sure that the people who
1: gravitate toward my podcast they probably value it too. Oh, sure, no question about it. Do you ever suffer from because it's been a little bit now since you've been doing this on your own, and again, you're not just recording content for one show a week, you're doing it for two shows a week, which is a lot of time and a lot of effort. You know, I would say. Sometimes, like right now, I'm talking to you and I'm enjoying this. This is fun for me. But sometimes doing the editing and the uploading and show notes and promotion and all that other stuff that comes with putting out a podcast, it could be a little bit tiring. And like, Do you ever suffer, obviously not enough to not put out an episode, but do you find yourself starting at any point to suffer a little bit maybe from podcast fatigue or are you still You dial up the energy every time you you hit record and get it going.
0: All the time, Pat, literally all the time, I have podcast fatigue. And the thing that keeps me going is that on Fridays, I do almighty takes and I do kind of a, a mailbag sort of section. And I get emails from all over the world. And they tell me, this is like my favorite part of the week. And I think to myself, for me, This moment, maybe it's a a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, and I'm tired, and I worked all day, and maybe it was a good day at work, maybe it wasn't a good day at work, and the night before, I probably watched a lot of film, and that was probably tiring, and sometimes I just don't want to do it, and then I'll poke into my email, and I'll get things from people who tell me that listening to the Bruce Exclusive is the highlight of their week. and with that it, it it's humbling and it's it's a very it, it's an honor for me to have those things pop in but also that that becomes a responsibility like there are people out there who want to listen to this because that's something that they get joy from and then who am i to take that from them and so it it becomes this weird balance of having the ego stroked associately you know with the compliments that you get. And that's awesome and wonderful and humbling. And then also thinking that there's a burden of responsibility that comes along with all these people who are looking for your episode every week. And there are people who are expecting it to be there. And when it's not there, they'll be like, Bruce, what, what happened? And that's very, very rarely ever happened. I think in the entire time I've been doing this, I don't think I've missed a Thursday or a Friday since I've been doing the Bruce exclusive. Under any circumstance. And so the last time I missed an episode of a podcast was when I was in the hospital. And even then, I still managed to record some of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's, it's, I think that there's part of it that's you do it because the validation from the feedback matters to you from a psychological standpoint, it matters to you. Emotionally, it matters to me. And then the other part of it is that you do it because there's a burden of responsibility. And so, yes, I experience the podcast fatigue. I absolutely do. I experience it quite a bit, but usually it's not based on the actual work. It's based on all the other things that are going on in my life. It's based on the fact that I have a full-time job. It's based on the fact that I have a family and I have things going on in my personal life. I know it's shocking, but I actually do have a personal life. I'm not saying it's highly <laughs> social, but it is a personal life. And it does have, you know, factors with it that normal people have. I am not indeed an android as has been hypothesized by more than a few members of Bill's Mafia. And so though, that's the thing that really gives me the fatigue. It's not really fatigue about the podcast. It's fatigue about the life that's then draining on your ability to do the thing that you love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you, I always like spending a couple of minutes before we dive into any Bill's talk, whenever I have you on the podcast, talking about podcasting because, you know, to a man and to a woman, people respect you and respect the work that you do. And I know that there's a lot of podcasters who actually listen to this when I have someone like you on and maybe pick up a, a tip or two from it. Now, without being cheesy, because this is completely true. So if it's cheesy, so be it. But it's true. Having the support of your wife, or in some other cases for other people, you know, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, whatever it may be, when you're doing a podcast, that's pretty significant because like you said, you put a lot of time and a lot of effort into this. Not just your show, which again, you record twice a week, but you're one of those guys who's, I don't want to say costly, but quite often you, you give up your time very generously to do other people's podcasts as well. So a lot of work and a lot of time you put in just, speak for a second or two about the significance of having somebody on your side. You know what I mean? Now, I know in your case, your wife, she actually appears on your podcast, which I think is awesome when she does, but just the general support that you get from her, that that means a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. I I don't think
0: it's any surprise. Anyone who knows me, follows my social media or has listened to the pod knows how I feel about my wife and how, uh, how integral she's been in this process, because really what happened is that, Before I started doing this podcast, I had reached a point in my life where I didn't have any hobbies because work had gotten busy. My life had gotten busy. And I sat down with my wife one day and I said, you know, I don't do anything that brings me joy anymore. I have time with you that brings me joy, but I don't have anything that's just my own that brings me joy. I don't have a hobby anymore. My only hobby is when I'm not working, I spend time with you. That's it. That's all I got right? And that's wonderful and amazing, but you can easily see how that conversation would be construed by someone else as my wife saying, what? So I'm not good enough for you. I'm not enough, but my wife understands something that I have mentioned on my podcast multiple times. And that is that love is synonymous with sacrifice. How much you love something is directly correlative to what you are willing to give up for it. If you're only willing to give up a little bit of your time for something, then you don't love it that much. If you're willing to give up a lot of your time, maybe a lot of your money, then you love it a lot more. If you are willing to lay down your life for something, then that's the ultimate love for that thing. And so my wife gives up a little bit of the time that she has with me, just a little bit of the time she has with me so that I can do the thing that brings me joy. And then in return, I get to give up a little bit of my time For other people's podcasts, because it's my wife says it's not all about me, and then I say it's not all about me, and this chain goes around, and that's how good things happen in this world. It's a bunch of individual people deciding that it's not all about them, and so my wife said it's not all about me. I'll let you do a little bit of this time here, and not you know I'll support you, and I'll come on your podcast, and I'll listen to it, and I'll give you feedback. And she's engaged; she doesn't just allow me to do it. She supports me. There's a difference between supporting somebody and allowing somebody. And so she supports me in this thing. And then I support other podcasters who want to have somebody on their podcast and come with me for tips and things like that. I support them because it's only fair to pay it forward for those people. And so if we all just put aside our ego for just a little bit, the way my wife did, then she allows me to do it and I allow somebody else to do it and so on and so so on and so forth. And then just that's how... Great things happen in this world just by putting aside a little bit of your ego and a little bit of your, it's about me. And it all started with my wife being able to do it because none of this happens without her. None of this happens if she throws a big stink and says, I'm sick and tired of you always by at no point. This has been years now. I've been doing this. Not a single time has she ever said to me, I wish you didn't spend so much time doing that. And that, that matters. And not everybody's got that, but I do. And I'm I'm very grateful for it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, you've been podcasting for a while. Is this the most fun you've had? Not necessarily so much because of the success. Because again, I've gotten to watch it with my own eyes over the last few years. You've grown as a, not just in talent, but as a personality as well. And now again, I, I consider you, and I know many, many people do, one of the premier and most listened to Buffalo Bills podcasters out there, but is it fun this year more than maybe the others based solely on the fact that the content, I mean, you're discussing a lot of positive stuff. You don't have to be a homer. You don't even have to try to be a homer because this team's just that good. Is the Buffalo Bills being as good as they are right now? Does that make your gig a little more fun or does how they are, does that not matter to you in terms of a podcast?
0: The thing that's interesting to me is that I started doing this podcast in the middle of a six and 10 season. Yeah. And so for me, I got a chance to sort of cut my teeth a little bit in the midst of a season that wasn't overly successful, but I will say it's more fun because more people are willing to engage. Uh, People have a tendency to check out a little bit when the team isn't playing well, because it's just too hard pat it's just it's just too much for them you know they they see the bills lose on sunday and they almost go through a grieving period where they don't want to listen to any content until the bills win again or until they feel better and so they might skip out on the monday or the tuesday or the wednesday or the thursday or the friday episode maybe saturday they'll get pumped a little bit for the game maybe a little bit of optimism and then if the bills lose again it's back in their bunker again it's a fear bunker and so right with With the winning comes more eyes and more ears to what we're doing over at Buffalo Rumblings and what I'm doing on the podcast. But in addition to that, we're trying to build a brand. And I'm trying trying to build a brand that you can come to even if the Bills lose. Even through heartbreak, you can come. You know, when the when the Chiefs game ended in heartbreak and the confidence level of this team was a little bit lower than it had been, then I wanted people to know that they could come to the Bruce exclusive and we weren't going to yell and scream about firing everyone. And, And that's the kind of deal that I make with my listeners. Listen, this is the way this works. I won't indulge you, right? That whole emotional craziness. I won't indulge that. That's not what we do on the Bruce exclusive. We won't indulge your emotional craziness when you tell me that every single player on the Buffalo Bills is the best player at their position in the league. We won't indulge that either. But in exchange for that, I also won't indulge. I won't get you riled up and convince you to fire everyone. Is that a fair deal? That's the deal that I make with my, my listeners. I'm going to be controlled when things are going well, and you're probably going to think I'm a hater and that's okay. But in exchange for that, I'm also going to be controlled when things are going bad and you might think I'm a Homer. And so, the balance is what I'm trying to strike because things are very rarely ever as bad as they look and they're almost never as good as they look either. So that's the deal that I strike with my listeners and that's the brand that I'm trying to establish because quite frankly, it comes naturally to me. I don't want to be anybody other than who I am. This is not a fake. This is not a facade. I actually am as controlled as, as it seems. And because of that, if you need stability, whether they win or lose, I want you to know that you can come listen to my pod. Like, that's what I want you to know. I want you to know that we're not going to yell and scream about firing someone and cutting every single person on the team when they when they play bad. That's not what we're going to do. And so if you want to have those fires stoked in you, then maybe I'm not the pod for you. But for those of you out there who don't want to, you know, indulge those feelings and you want to have a reasonable conversation about things, whether things are going badly or things are going well, then. You can come listen to me. And that's what I'm trying to do. And so because of that, when things are going well, like they are now, I get more listeners. But it also gives me an opportunity to further build up in my listeners what this pod is all about. So that when things inevitably don't go well, because let's be honest, for every single team other than the team that won the Super Bowl, the year ends in heartbreak. Sure. 31 teams are going to end the year with heartbreak. And when that happens, then I want you to know that I've built up the brand and I have built up the idea of what it is that we do here on the Bruce Exclusive. So the point where you would feel like comfortable for you to come listen to my show.
1: Listening to your podcast is quite literally the polar opposite of say a Monday morning when I tune into WGR and Sal Capaccio as like the extra point show where it's like all... Emotion, not necessarily from sale, but from the people who call in too high and too low. And I've said this many, many times when it comes to you and your content and your show, that one of my favorite things about you is that you do it. You have an ability to kind of remove emotion from the points you're trying to articulate. And you're very unobjective as a podcaster. And I respect that because, look, I love a lot of Bill's podcasts out there. But sometimes you could just kind of, you dial into one, and you can just tell that it's one or two fans, Bill's fans that are doing the podcast, you know? And it's just, uh, your show doesn't, has never felt to me like a fan podcast, even if ultimately and technically that might be what it is, but it's never felt that way to me. It feels like your show is a place where I could come learn something, you know what I mean? And And that means a lot to me as a listener, and I also like the way with your show, you're starting to have some regular features like the almighty take thing. Just uh, you've hit on this consistency is very important with your show as a podcaster, but you know what? As a fan, as a bills fan, because at the end of the day, you and I let's remove podcasts here. We're we're Buffalo bills fans, you know, um, not, not to play FBI. I know that you're on, on Twitter. People are trying to find out information about you. So look out FBI, but let me ask you this, as a Buffalo Bills fan, forget the podcasting world for a second here. I don't know, and again, I'm not trying to get clues on you if you, if you wear any Bills gear when you go out and about in, in town, whatever town you you may be living in, but I, I just came back from Buffalo. I, obviously, I'm down here in Florida, and I spent the holidays in Buffalo, and it was the first time in five years where I'm kind of jealous of Bills fans in Buffalo because it's one thing when you live in another town like you and I do to have a Bills shirt on or a Bills hat. And the way they're playing, you stick out your chest a little bit. But we're kind of looking for fellow Bills fans. You go in Buffalo, man, everywhere I went, Wegmans, the mall, any outlet store, anything, just to see, even in the streets, man, just a sea of uh, Buffalo Bills gear. I've never seen anything like it since going back to maybe even the, the early 90s. You know what I'm saying? It's just a the pandemonium right now is nuts in a good way. And as a Bills fan, you I'm speaking of. Do you kind of stick your chest out a little bit in whatever town you're hiding out in there? Do you, do you have bills gear? Are you, are you walking around with it, sticking your chest out a little bit?
0: I do not have a lot of bills gear myself. Um, it's just me neither. It's always been something where I've had a hard time with the value proposition because what you're buying is you're buying the brand. And the brand costs extra. So if I want a T-shirt, it might cost me X amount of dollars. If I want that exact same T-shirt that has a Bills logo stamped on it, now it costs me more. So, right. Th- there's always been a, tr- a struggle for me from a value proposition standpoint. In addition, I will say that when I do make it up to Buffalo, I do swing by, you know, the local store and try and pick up a couple because I can get it cheaper there than I can at like the shop or Fanatics or things like that. Sure, so I do pick sure. up a you know thing two or there. I'm not much of a sports. Gear guy, so right. If you were hoping to, you know, come to the greater Cleveland area and somewhere around that area and just drive around till you saw somebody wearing a Bills hat and think, "Hey, that's Bruce." I'm sorry, <laughs> that, that's that's uh, it's not going to work, FBI. It's 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 not <laughs> nice try. But but for me, it, it, I think sticking out my chest would require someone to stick out my chest too. And true. I have a very, very, very small circle of acquaintances. Um, Very small. Like my wife is my best friend and we hang out and do everything together. And that's, that's a, a large portion of my entire social infrastructure right there. Like a very, very large portion of it. So I don't have anyone to stick out my chest towards. So to me, I don't really puff out my chest because I don't wear the team gear. And so I don't stick out my chest kind of generally in public. And I don't have a large social circle surrounded by people who are not Bills fans. So I don't puff out my chest to them either. So for me, there's been very, very little chest puffing involved with the Bills success. I just kind of take it in stride. It's, it's, it's the next data point. I have rooting interest in them and I'm happy when they win. I am much happier when they win than when they lose. But for me, I just, I I lack the secondary dynamic necessary, whether that is, you know, the bill's gear to kind of puff it out, just generally speaking, global puffing, I suppose, and then individual puffing with an individual person who doesn't share my allegiance, who happens to be inside my circle of friends. That doesn't really occur to me either. So for me, not really much puffing.
1: (laughs) Well. You know what? I don't have a lot of bills, Gary, either. So I'm sort of like you. And in the stuff I do have generally are like Christmas or birthday gifts that I don't purchase because I do think a lot of that stuff is overrated and expensive. In fact, I just had my buddy Joe on the show last week, and we literally got in a fight on the air about buying an AFC East championship gear and how much it got jacked up just because they won a division that, frankly, a lot of us thought 17 weeks ago they were going to win to begin with. But anyway... I don't know, I, I kind of do like to puff my chest out a little bit nowadays, like for an example, after Sunday, because I'm down here in Florida and there's a lot of Dolphins fans around here, even though I'm closer to Tampa, I was looking for people to puff my chest out at it. I went to Walmart on Sunday evening with all my bills shit on. It was, uh, was kind of fun. And, and again, being in a, a transplant area like I am, a lot of the friends, and I don't have a big social circle, not in Florida anyway, I do in Buffalo, but not down here in Florida. They're all fans of different teams. So everyone knows I've been a Bills fan for the last five years, but you can just see the difference in the way other fans of other teams who I'm friends with, how they've received the Buffalo Bills now. It used to be a cute little story, you know, a fun team, and now they're considered one of the, the best teams in the NFL. But real quick, I just wanted to get a couple takeaways from you from Sunday's game. I'm not going to spend a lot of time deep diving or talking about the game. I would tell anyone listening right now to tune into your podcast this week, Thursday and Friday, I'm sure you'll have plenty about the game, but I I just want to get one or two takeaways that after you watched the game on Sunday, again, an absolute trounce in Miami that I really don't think anyone saw that coming, not in week 17 anyway. What were a couple of like the biggest things that you take away from that game, good or bad, I guess, although it'd be hard to find something bad. For me, the biggest takeaway from that game was
0: that Josh Allen has seen a lot of different defenses now. The Flores defense is from that Belichickian coaching scheme, and they do a really good job of disguising their coverages. And as Josh Allen continues to solve defense after defense, you're starting to run out of things that you think can trip him up. So early on in his career, there was a book on Josh Allen, and then he overcame that book. And then there was a new book on Josh Allen, and then he overcame that book. And as I sit down from the perspective of a defense, who's trying to minimize this bill's offense, I think to myself, okay, what are you going to do? And I'll level with you, Pat. I have some trouble and I have a, you know, I have a decent enough football mind that I can think of the type of things that would potentially be a rock to your scissors or a paper to your rock. And it's really tricky to face the bill's offense because The real significant weakness in the Bills offense is they don't have speed at the running back position. That is a very significant weakness with the Bills offense, but that's not really something you can take advantage of. It's just something you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about really significant explosive outside plays from the Buffalo Bills run game because they don't have speed to corner, but that doesn't really give you something to attack them with. It just gives you one less thing to worry about. So as you look at the Bills offense, you think, okay, so what is this quick answer? And there is no quick answer anymore. So now the answer to the Bills offense is becoming multiple stages. You have to dig deeper. It's not as simple as just do this thing. And that's what I have argued can help us feel confident about Josh Allen, even if Brian Dable moves on. Now, I'm not saying we need to throw the bag at the guy because the sample size of elite level play is still one season for Josh Allen. But the fact of the matter is when you look at Josh Allen, you think, okay, what is the solution? How is the quick and easy way as a defense, how are you going to lock down Josh Allen? And the answer is it's not quick and it's not easy. That's the answer. It's not quick and it's not easy. And that's encouraging. And my big takeaway is that The Miami Dolphins came out and Josh Allen didn't look great in the first little bit of that game. But before the first quarter was essentially over, he had solved it and moved on. And the second quarter of that game, he lit him up like a Christmas tree. So we're starting to see things where now, even if you hold Josh Allen down, you don't hold him down for the entire game. And that's my biggest takeaway from the Miami Dolphins game is that we're going up against a team this upcoming weekend in the Indianapolis Colts who have a defensive coordinator in Matt Eberflus who is good. And the Indianapolis Colts have caused some problems, but they're not going to be able to come in with a single piece of evidence and just slap it on the table and go, bam, you've been solved. Josh Allen. It's not that simple anymore. You have to have multiple things that are timed correctly in order to beat Josh Allen, this Buffalo Bills offense. And that's really encouraging. That's my biggest takeaway from the Miami Dolphins game. And just as I look back across this, this year, and Josh Allen, he started strong and he ended strong. So you might think that there was no growth. If you think he started at a really good point and he ended at a really good point, you might think that there was no growth between those two data points. And that's not true because qualitatively, what he learned along the way, you could see it if you're watching the film. You might not see it. You might think he started good and then he had a lull against Kansas City and Tennessee and they ended well. You might think that's what happened with Josh Allen and statistically you'd be right, but qualitatively you wouldn't be. Josh Allen's a better quarterback now than he was at the beginning of this year. And that's something
1: to hang your hat on. I'll tell you, it was wild early in the game. What was it? 40 something or 50 something yards. Maybe he needed to break Drew Bledsoe's record. And I was getting to a point after two or three drives because it didn't look like he did not look good early. But I also was like, well, how much are they really showing right now? And I'm like, get him out of there. I remember saying this record don't mean that much. But yeah, by halfway through the second quarter, I'm like, he's toying with them just like he did with Denver and New England. It was just uh, crazy to see. One more thing. Then I want to get to the best of 2020 stuff that we got lined up here. Um, Brian Dable it's, I know it's too early to like make an official prediction, but you're looking at some of these jobs that are opening up right now. You got Jets, Jags, uh, Houston, uh, Detroit, Atlanta, Chargers just became open on Monday. Lynn got fired. A lot of people think that's a good fit for him. When you look at these teams, do any of them stand out for you as either a team that you think could be a great fit for him to go to? Maybe they all can, or maybe, you know, one where you think he has a really good chance of, uh, getting hired and essentially have you kind of resigned yourself to the fact that Brian Dable is probably going to be a head coach next year? Or do you think there's a real chance that he stays in Buffalo?
0: I am operating under the assumption that Brian Dable will be gone next year. Yeah, that is, that's the assumption I'm operating under. There's simply too many teams in the NFL that want what he has. They want an offensive minded coach who can help them develop a quarterback who comes from a great tree. And has recommendations from Sean McDermott, who is being lauded as one of the best culture builders in the NFL and turned around the Buffalo Bills franchise. He has a recommendation of a guy named Bill Belichick, who people still think really highly of, you know, hate to break it to you just because Tom Brady is not there. Don't don't mean that they're not thinking highly of of Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. So if you have those endorsements and you have an offensive pedigree and you have the work with Josh Allen, it's just. There's too many things going in his direction for me to not think that there's a reasonable possibility, a probability, perhaps, uh, on my podcast. I guess we, we categorize it as highly probable that yeah. Brian Dable will be gone. And I do think the Chargers make a lot of sense. I think the Jaguars make a lot of sense. I think the reason why the Jaguars make a lot of sense is because the assumptiveness there is that the Jaguars will pick Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence, is, of course, is a very toolsy quarterback who has leadership traits, has the mobility. And there's a possibility that you could get a package deal. You could get someone like Malik Boyd to come from the Bills front office to go with Brian Dable and package them together down to Jacksonville, which is something you wouldn't have available for you necessarily with the Los Angeles Chargers job. So I think the Chargers and the Jaguars make a lot of sense for the type of things that they would be looking for relative to the type of things that Brian Dable is.
1: All right, let me do this. So I want to kind of transition into our best of 2020 segment. Got some Bill stuff, and then I got a couple of fun little random things to hit on as well. And the first one was best Buffalo Bill of 2020. I'm going to assume, and I probably should never assume anything, especially with you, that Josh Allen is the guy. But Assuming he is, or even if he's not, let me ask you this. So we talk about Josh Allen and we talk about the likeliness that Ryan Dable is going to be somewhere else. How confident are you? And maybe, again, maybe this if Josh Allen's your answer, if not, explain why not. But how confident are you that Josh Allen's at a point now, physically and maturity-wise, that even if Dable goes wherever, that you still think 2021 Josh Allen's going to be at least as good as what we saw 2020 Josh Allen be. Without Brian Dable, are you at that point of confidence right now with him? I will let you know when they hire an
0: offensive coordinator. Because I do think that it's possible for a really good quarterback to be significantly hamstrung by a bad offensive coordinator. I think there's a chance that Josh Allen could be just as good and just as talented and just as adept next year as he is this year with lesser results if the Bills make a bad offensive coordinator hire, which I don't think they're going to do. I am reasonably confident that Josh Allen's going to do okay next year because I've seen the progression that he's had. I don't think the progression is only due to Brian Dable. I think that when you look mechanically and you look at decision-making, you look at things absent play calling, and that's important. Can you isolate Josh Allen's play absent play calling? And the answer is if you – know what you're looking at on the film, then you, you can. A lot of times you can watch the film and you can see a play call from 19, a play call from 20 and go, hey, I recognize this play call. Josh Allen's learning to execute it against different coverages better. And that has nothing to do with the actual play call itself. It's can you isolate the play of the quarterback from the play caller? And people who don't necessarily study Josh Allen and don't watch it or they watch it. They don't know what they're watching might not necessarily be able to do that. But I had an argument with a, a chiefs fan on social media. He said, well, you know, Josh Allen was nothing until Brian Dable arrived. And I said, you know, that Brian Dable was here the whole time, right? He's like, yeah, well, he wasn't good the, until this year. I said, so Brian Dable's offense was bad in 18, bad in 19, and then suddenly amazing in 2020. Same yeah. coordinator, yeah. Well, right. I and, and that's and that's what you, you have to be able to isolate Josh Allen from Brian Dable, and I think that Josh Allen is a, a good quarterback at this point. Now, I do think that he could be hamstrung by a bad offensive coordinator. We've seen that happen, of course. Most notably, it's Jared Goff. Jared Goff under Jeff Fisher looks a lot different than Jared Goff under Sean McVay, like drastically different. Carson Wentz under Frank Reich looks a lot different than Carson Wentz under a different offensive coordinator. So I do think it's possible that Josh Allen could be hamstrung, but
1: I'll get back to you when they hire an offensive coordinator. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's go. That's a 2020 uh, best bills play. Best single bills play of 2020.
0: Allen rolling to his left for Diggs' third touchdown against New England. That is a play that very few human beings can make. And I think it was on prime time to rub the Patriots noses in it. I think that play, I don't like to get super symbolic, but that play is, listen, I can play with Patrick Mahomes. I can play with Patrick Mahomes. I don't have to cower in fear of that guy. He is. A great quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback and an MVP contender this year in his own right and already an MVP winner and a Super Bowl MVP and is on pace to be one of the greatest quarterbacks ever right now, although the sample size is small. So by all means, let's understand that Patrick Mahomes is great. But Josh Allen making that throw, rolling to his left, resetting and dropping it to Stefan Diggs in the back of the end zone when that wasn't even That wasn't, not only was that not his first read, that wasn't even his first hemisphere of the play. That play was supposed to be a flat route to Cole Beasley with speed motion across the formation. And he reversed field, came all the way back, flipped his hips while outrunning Dietrich Wise, who's a good player for New England, flipped his hips and dropped at the back line in the end zone for a touchdown to Stephon Diggs. That to me is the play of the game because if you have a quarterback who makes those plays, you've got a shot about against anybody. Period. If you have a quarterback who's capable of making those plays, your margin for error just got really big. And that's what good quarterback play gives you, a margin for error. Traits give you options, and when you have a quarterback who's got literally all of the traits, then your margin for error just got real big as a franchise. And as a team, and you're dangerous. In any game, you're dangerous. The reason why people don't fear game managers, even though we know game managers can win the Super Bowl, we've seen it happen. Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson, Peyton Manning, when he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, at that point, he was pretty much a game manager. But the reason people don't fear them is because their margin for error is so s- slim. Everything has to go perfect. The defense has to play well. You got to get turnovers, you got to get a running game. If you have a good quarterback, Sometimes those things don't even have to happen. Look at some of the games that the Bills played earlier this year. Look at the Rams game. Look at the Dolphins game. Look at games earlier this year where the defense didn't come to play. The running game didn't come to play. Just Josh Allen and the offense and the passing game in specific came to play. And that's good enough. You can win a game on just that. And that's what makes them scary. And that throw to me, is the play of the year because this signifies that this team is scary. And this team is scary because if you have a good quarterback, you're scary.
1: I love that. I love that. You you kind of won me over with that. I originally had in my notes here uh, Justin Zimmer with the forced fumble on Cam Noonan the first time they played to seal the, uh, the three-point win because Buffalo was 5-2 and two at the time. Kind of had New England on the ropes. New England was 2-4. and four. It looked like New England was going to tie or win the game at the end and and again, an unheralded guy like Justin Zimmer made the big force fumble. But yeah, when you say that and describe that throw and just the symbolicness of it, I agree with you 100% after listening to that. All right, let's move on. Your best Bills game of 2020.
0: I am going to say for best Bills game of 2020, I am going to say the first game against Miami. And the reason I'm going to say the first game against Miami is because of everything I just said before. That was a game where nothing else really came to play. That was a game that you won in spite of the remaining 52, not because of the remaining 52. You won that game in large part because of Josh Allen. I still contend that the Miami game early this year was the best game that Josh Allen's ever played. He hit the most throws against the most types of coverages to all areas of the field. And that was a game the Bills lose in 19, in 18, in 17. Stylistically, that's the type of game the Bills lose. And so for me, it might not look like much. We might not think of that because it wasn't prime time. It wasn't during the momentum at the very end of the year where the Bills were lighting up everybody and winning by large margins. But I think that that's a game that says, you know what? Not everything has to go right. When you've got Josh Allen, that was when I think a lot of people started to perk up about Josh Allen. And it was, okay, this is a guy who can beat a division foe and a good defense, not by himself, obviously, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, all of them played their part. But if you have this one piece going for you, then you can win. And so I know it's probably not a very common answer, and it's certainly not a sexy pick, but I think it was one of the most important games that Josh
1: Allen has had. It's reasonable, very reasonable. I went with the Rams game. And the reason why is because they played great for a half. I think they were up 21-3 at halftime. And then they blew it in the second half. And I remember specifically for myself, at least anyway, because don't forget now, we're still kind of got the uh, the Houston loss in the playoffs where they blew a 16-point lead. That's still a little fresh in my mind. It's early in the year. And Then of course you're talking 17 years of not making the playoffs. They stunk in 2018, and we watched a team that just continuously found ways to lose. And that game, them coming back again, blowing it, going down 32 28, and then Josh Allen hit Tyler Croft with ultimately the the winning touchdown. It kind of my fears got tossed, and I finally realized that this isn't the same old Bills that i had been watching for a lot of these years. Now when it comes to best Josh Allen game of 2020. I think you kind of just described that. Yeah, got you. Got to go with that Miami game, then, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's move on. How about best Buffalo Bills O lineman of twenty twenty? I'm going Deion Dawkins. I'm
0: going Deion Dawkins because we don't really talk about him almost at all. I think he's been right? the least talked about lineman on the Buffalo Bills this year, and I mean that in the most positive sense. So when you have a player who just signed a big contract extension and all of a sudden you don't hear about him and he's on the offensive line that's a good thing that's something we should be pretty happy about and this is a player who had a encouraging first year had a down second year recovered and had a good third year and then signed an extension So it's not like his play was consistently good or he was trending in a positive direction. He was kind of bouncing around. Impurging, promising rookie year, second year, not so much. The third year, better. And then this year, he already signed his extension by the time he got to the year. So you come out of the gates and you go, is he going to kind of fall backwards again? Is it going to be a problem? And it hasn't been a problem. In my personal opinion, he has been the best offensive lineman on the team. This is a player who has allowed, I think, 33 pressures all year, somewhere between one and three a game. At no point does he absolutely collapse. There are no games where he gives up like seven pressures. So it's consistently playing well. And I think it, it really speaks to his ability to turn it around and stay turned around instead of falling back into habits. And Sean McDermott said flat out that Deion Dawkins and Tredavious White are those players who actually work harder after they sign their contract extensions. And that's a rare thing. That's a very rare thing to have happen.
1: So for me, it's Deion Dawkins. All right. How about best? Unsung Buffalo bill of 2020, like somebody who was really solid, who maybe didn't get enough credit, enough credit. They should have got him more. There were people who didn't think Mitch Morse was one of our top five best offensive
0: linemen, Pat. There were human beings out there on the interwebs, specifically on the bird app who told me that Mitch Morse got benched and was not one of the top five best players on a team rightfully benched. Which is absolutely ludicrous. Mitch Morse is a good center in this league, and you see it on film all the time. And I have zero interest in getting rid of Mitch Morse. Well, guys, you know, all of a sudden you started creeping into, you know, what could we save in the salary cap if we got no, no, just stop, stop doing it. It's like we finally get a reasonable offensive line, and then all of a sudden we will blow it up for money. I just. At some point, you have to allow your investments to do the things that investments do, which is grow and serve a good purpose, which is protecting your franchise quarterback. So Mitch Morse, hands down, underrated this year because not only did the fans not talk about it. But I'm convinced the coaching staff was kind of, I'm not really sure about that. And I had to wag my finger at the coaching staff too. And I was, I I came into disagreement with the coaching staff and I had more than a few people come into my mentions with the whole, uh, oh, so you think you know more than the coaching staff? I got a lot of that this year. But the answer is that Mitch Morse has been a good player this year. And as he continues to play, the film just continues to pile up, showing
1: that he's a good player. And he should be at the pivot for years to come. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he had a beautiful block out one of Antonio Williams' touchdown runs against uh, Miami on Sunday. All right, so you've done your podcast, you've done a lot of other people's, including mine. Um, looking back from what you can remember, what was your best Buffalo Bills preseason take of 2020?
0: My best take was Stefan Diggs knows is exactly what Josh Allen needs. I yeah. said that multiple times. I said it specifically this way, Stefan Diggs is exactly what Josh Allen needs. I talked about the types of things that Josh Allen struggled with in 2019, the narratives on him, as I mentioned earlier, the book on Josh Allen, the method by which you can beat him and what Stefan Diggs allowed him to do offensively and how good of a fit Stefan Diggs' skill set was with what Josh Allen does well. and that one I nailed because Stefan Diggs, of course, ended up being the league leader in receptions and receiving yards. I went as far as to draft Stefan Diggs in my dynasty fantasy draft because of how much I was down with Stefan Diggs this year. I was ready. I was all in. I said, I think Stefan Diggs is going to have a really good year. I think he's going to have his best year ever in this offense, the same way that Cole Beasley has his best year ever in this offense, and John Brown had his best year ever in this offense. And I was all in. I was not a a big... uh. You know, proponent of the, uh, I don't know if he doesn't get the ball a lot. I said, no, he's going to get the ball a lot. Josh Allen's going to throw it to him. He's going to be very valuable. And Stefan Diggs not only made me look smart, but he also helped me win my fantasy championship.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you what, people in my fantasy league then not uh, they should have listened to you a little bit, but I'm looking now, he wasn't drafted into the eighth round of the fantasy league that I was in. Um, man, that guy, well, he made it to the championship. He didn't win it though. But uh, yeah, for sure. That's a great take. What about conversely? I'll let you call yourself out a little bit here. From what you can remember, I'm sure you had at least one along the way. What was your worst preseason take in our best of 2020 here? I had
0: the Bills going nine and seven and I had Josh Allen taking a small step forward from a statistical production standpoint. I had him taking a step forward, but nothing even close to this. Nothing close to MVP caliber. And quite frankly, it, you know, it's, this is one I'm really happy to be wrong about, but- Sure. I picked the Bills to go 9-7. and I made some fairly significant errors when it came to strength of opponent. There were certain teams that I thought would end up being better. San Francisco is one of them. Now, of course, San Francisco, again, got ravaged by injuries. I understand that. I thought Denver, by the time we played them, would have kind of hit their stride and been doing better. I didn't think Drew Locke was going to be a superstar, but I thought Drew Locke could take a step forward the way that Josh Allen did. So I thought that was going to be a struggle. And I thought the Steelers' offense would be more dynamic down the field than it ended up being. The Steelers ended up being a very, very quick, quick ball out of Ben Roethlisberger's hands, very, very horizontal offense. I thought with the addition of Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson already being a big play weapon and having Juju Smith Schuster and having James Washington, I thought this is going to be a lot more vertical of a passing offense with Ben Roethlisberger coming back. And it wasn't. So, those were things that all threw me off when it came to picking the, you know, picking the schedule nine seven. In addition, I had Josh Allen taking a small step forward. That's it, just a small step, just a gradual step in a positive direction. I didn't have him taking this many steps forward, so that was clearly my worst take of the preseason.
1: Well, to be fair, I don't really think many people whatsoever had uh, Josh Allen being an MVP worthy candidate like he was this year. I, gotta, You know what? I had you call yourself out a little. I'm going to call myself out a little bit too. I had I had our buddy Greg Thompson on the podcast very early in the offseason. This was before they got Stephon Diggs. And I had to take that Devin Singletary was going to be the best offensive player on this team this coming year, which obviously not that Devin Singletary's bad by any means, but it's not even close to being the best player on his team. But yeah, I said that shit. I said Devin Singletary. <laughs> would be the best offensive player. So, oops. Anyway, all right. I want to finish up with a couple random stuff. There's nothing to do really with uh, the bills here. What about best food that Bruce Nolan has tried for the first time in 2020? My wife found a carnitas recipe that
0: is a slow cooker kind of pork carnitas. And they're fantastic. We do some corn tortillas and some guac on it. And it's just it's fantastic when uh, she actually left for the weekend a couple months ago and she actually made me a big old pot of the pork and just left me with a big pot of pork for the entire weekend. And so when she got back on Sunday evening, it was all gone. I literally <laughs> just grazed on pork for the entire
1: weekend. It was it was glorious, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, that sounds some. mine's black and chicken bites. Yours is so much more interesting. There's this bar in Florida that has just these chicken bites that put some black and season on it, and, and they're phenomenal. But yeah, that pales like in comparison to you. What about best TV show you watched in 2020 for the first time, whether it's a brand new show or an old show that you had never watched before this year? The best new show, and that's the, that's the important caveat because
0: my wife and I got a chance to finish. You know, we finished Parks and Rec again, which we really like. Parks and Rec. We finished The Office, which I know you're a big fan of. We finished that again. We're in the process of wrapping up Psych. We've been running through Psych, uh, which I really enjoyed. But none of those things did I see for the first time in 2020. So to me, my favorite show that I watched for the first time in 2020 was The Mandalorian. I enjoyed hmm. The Mandalorian quite a bit. I think that The Mandalorian is an example of what I think Star Wars was always intended to be. And I'll go even one farther, is that if you look at the motifs that have been given to us, you know, cinematically cinematically with The Mandalorian. It's basically a Western. That's really what it is. It's a Western. It's a Mm. solo, mysterious gunfighter, right? Who travels across a stretch of geography, meets interesting characters, right? Gets attached to potentially a innocent, you know, Person who helps him kind of rediscover his morality because he had kind of questionable morality at the beginning. There's a little bit of a true grit concept there, you know, the old John Wayne movie that was remade that later on with Jeff Bridges. And I think that Star Wars was always intended to be about interesting characters going to strange and unique places and having adventures. And then, it kind of lost its way a little bit with the prequels when it got into, you know, galactic politics and things like that. But the Mandalorian, I think is really what star Wars intended to be distilled into its purest form. And that's the thing that I really enjoyed about it. And my wife who liked the original trilogy and did not like the prequel trilogy and didn't really care for the sequel trilogy. She liked it. So it's right on, it's right on track with, if you liked the originals, the original trilogy, the OG trilogy, then you probably like The Mandalorian because this, I, I
1: think, was what Star Wars was always intended to be. Cool. I have, I don't know if you've ever even watched this, but it's 20 years late. But I watched The Wire, the series, for the first time on HBO late in, uh, late in 2020. You ever watched it before? I have seen The Wire, yes. Not all of The Wire, but I've seen a good bit of The Wire. I can't believe I waited 20 years to watch it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And so many people for years told me, especially sports media people, what a great series it is. And I was like, yeah, whatever. But glad I watched it. It was really good. Uh, How about movie? What's the best movie that you watched in 2020 for the first time? Again, whether it's a movie that just came out, which I know there wasn't a lot of in this uh, COVID year or or an old movie that you saw for the first time. For me, it was
0: actually a 2017 film that I didn't see until 2020. That was Baby Driver. I saw Baby Driver in 2020 and really enjoyed it. I think that one of the things that films get caught up with too often is they have characters in there who don't serve any purpose, but to push the plot forward. Their only purpose for being on screen, they don't ever stop to ask the person, why is this person on screen? What are they contributing? And the thing that I thought was interesting about Baby Driver is that every single character in that movie was interesting to me. They had something about them that made them interesting. They were three dimensional, for one thing, and they pushed the movie forward. You know, whether that's Baby or Doc or Deborah or, you know, Griff or Buddy or, you know, Bats, Darling, you know, whoever it is that was on the screen at the time, they were interesting. They had a motive that may not necessarily have coincided with everyone else's, and they were pushing the movie forward for that reason. I think it was one of those movies that just it didn't feel like there was anything in there that wasn't intentionally put in there for a reason. And I think that as movies, in my opinion, get worse and worse and worse as they keep going on with the with the the generations, I think we lose sight of things like that. We lose sight of is this necessary? Is this thing that we're doing? Does it have a point? Is it? Trying to achieve a goal. We just don't stop and ask why when we create things. So, when I'm creating the podcast or I'm writing something, why am I doing this? Why did I say that thing that I just said? For what purpose did I say that? Otherwise, I'm just blying at a wall. I'm just randomly speaking words into existence. That don't actually mean anything. If I'm not going anywhere, if I'm not trying to invoke an emotion, if I'm not trying to provoke a thought, what's the point? What am I saying? And so, for me, Baby Driver was very encouraging because it's a newer movie. Obviously, it came out in 2017, but it's a newer movie that has people with you know complex morality and differing goals and things that are important. I think, to make sure you have an interesting movie. And so I really enjoy Baby
1: Driver. I've never seen it, but I'm definitely going to watch it now. I'm looking at the cast, too. It's quite a cast. Kevin Spacey, John Hamm, mm. Jamie Foxx. Good cast. Um, Great cast. I have I 2017. Well, that's the same year for me because my pick was The Greatest Showman. I mm. had never seen that before this year, and I really enjoyed that a lot. A um, couple more here. Best of Buffalo Twitterer. Not counting you or I, of course. So, not counting Bruce Dolan or Pat Moran. Who's the best Buffalo Twitterer of 2020?
0: You know, I think I, I wasn't really sure about what this was going to be until Anthony Marino tweeted what Anthony Marino tweeted over the weekend, where he took the clip from the Buffalo Bills hype video where Steve Tasker says, Get ready, it might be chilly. Oh, yeah. And he tagged it with When my kids ask me what's in the crock pot for Sunday. And I thought that that tweet, I think just won it just won the year. Like, just shut down Twitter at this point. There's really no point in me tweeting anything ever again because at no point will I be able to top what Anthony Marino tweeted. So, for me, that one tweet by itself absolutely just wipes the floor with everybody else because I, I, I listened to it, I clicked on it, I knew what he was going to say like, cause I've, of course I've seen the hype video. So I knew it was going to say, be ready. It might be chilly, but I clicked on it anyway. And I laughed and then I went back and I clicked on it again. And then I laughed again. And then I showed my wife and I clicked on it and she laughed. And then I laughed and then I showed the dog and I clicked on it and the dog said, what are you doing? And then I laughed again. So for me,
1: I, I got to go my, my I got to go with my boy. I got to go Anthony Marino. You know what? It's funny. You mentioned him. I'm going to tell you why in a sec, in a minute or two, but, uh, yeah, Anthony's really good on Twitter. My personal favorite is Jeremy White from WGR. He went through a hell of a year, you know, a hell of a time. And uh, I, I love his openness and his honesty on Twitter. Very informative. Says some funny things. He's got something that trends well with the Saturday jersey thing. Just a good guy. So I, I went with uh, with Jeremy White. Last few here. So, all right, where, where are we at? Oh, by the way, so we're taping this late Monday night, literally as we're talking right now. I just saw a report from... Uh, Tom, but that the chargers are, have requested an interview with Brian Dable, which again, you and I, no surprise there. Anyway, moving on here, the best Bruce Nolan purchase of 2020. It's a tortilla
0: press, but not for the reason you think. So I have been approaching a quest, a Holy grail, if you will, for the last couple of years, I have been attempting to create the perfect hamburger. And one of the things that I decided to do in my pursuit of the perfect hamburger was buy a tortilla press. And I put some wax paper down and I measure out specifically three ounces of 80-20 or 70-30 meat. And I press it down between another piece of wax paper on the tortilla press. And then I can get a cast iron skillet absolutely ridiculously screaming hot and slap that bad boy down on the cast iron skillet and get a really nice round, crispy smash burger. (laughs) And the reason I did this is because I was getting frustrated with placing the ball down on the skillet and then pressing it because when you press it, you know, whether you like it or not, you're applying uneven pressure and sometimes it causes the burger to be misshapen. Sometimes you're pushing too hard. Sometimes you're not pushing hard enough. In addition, sometimes the splatter will come up when you press it down there and you're squeezing too much of the juices out. It's just, it's never going to get you as perfect as you want. So what I did was I invested in a tortilla press. And let me just tell you, Pat,
1: I'm not looking back. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? As you're saying this, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, all right, so a Bruce Nolan pursuit of the perfect hamburger is definitely going to be a promo talking point when I promote this podcast over the next couple of days. That's awesome. I did not see that coming. I, I, I can't even compare to that. All right, last one here. The best Bruce exclusive podcast episode of 2020. I think my
0: favorite episode of 2020 was the Thanksgiving Day episode. And the Thanksgiving Day episode was an episode where I introduced a concept to my listeners, that we are going to continue to use for a long time moving forward. And that is the concept of QB stew, stew like you would eat. And stew is an acronym. It stands for statistical talent evaluation worksheet. And what it is, is it is a carefully curated amalgamation of other holistic quarterback metrics, metrics like QBR, metrics like DVOA, PFF grade, EPA per play, things like that, specifically selected for a specific reason. Because I looked across the landscape of these holistic quarterback metrics, and I saw in them positives, and I saw in them negatives. And there was always a debate over what holistic intended quarterback metric was best. And very much like the girl in the gif that you always see on Twitter, I went, why not both, right? Why can't we do all of them? Why can't we carefully select a small curation of quarterback metrics, knowing what the positives and negatives are of each metric and use them to balance each other out to get a holistic composite view of how well a quarterback is playing? What if I rank them in PFF grade and DVOA and CPOE, and I average the ranking, will that give me a better composite to tell me how the quarterback is playing? And I think the answer is yes. But if we're willing to put our ego aside and not get our all, you know, all up in our tribalism by sticking our flag in the ground and saying, no, no, EPA per play is the best. If we just recognize that there are some things that are good and some things that are bad in the quarterback metric landscape, and we use them against each other on purpose to help, even in sort of the flaws, right? Some of the cracks in the facade, you kind of fill them in using other metrics that do well, what another metric might not do well, then we can get a really good idea for how well a quarterback's playing. And that's something I'm really proud of because I hadn't heard it anywhere else. I had never heard this concept anywhere else into the football landscape. And this isn't a Buffalo Bills thing. This isn't me talking about the Buffalo Bills. This is us talking about how to better evaluate quarterbacks from a metric standpoint. And I think that there's something to it. I think there's something to being willing to put your ego aside and say, guys, I think if we use multiples of them, I think we can get a really good idea for who's playing well and not have to worry about each one. Having potentially a flaw. Well, Bruce, it doesn't take into account who they're playing. Okay, well, if we add DVOA, which does take into account who they're playing, then that will help. Oh, well, it doesn't take into account passes that the quarterback threw really well that got dropped. Well, if we put in PFF grade, then it will. And this helps us, I think, get a really well rounded view of how a quarterback is performing. And I'm really proud of it. And I got great feedback on it. And I think it's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done ever. Because I think it's something that contributes to moving the conversation forward. It's something that is original, that is really kind of my idea, my brainchild. And it's something that I think can help propel the conversation about quarterbacks forward.
1: You know, you see, man, this is why I love talking to you. And why and I love your podcast so much because it's one thing to be entertained. Certainly, you're very entertaining, especially when you want to be. When you got some light stories to tell, they're actually... Pretty sneaky, funny, but more than anything, that sounds like an opportunity to tune into something and just get educated, man. And I, that's that's the shit that I, I just love that about you and about your podcast. For me, I had um, Jared Patterson on the UB running back mm. literally the day before. So the next day he ran out, rushed for 409 yards and eight touchdowns one day after he was on my podcast. That was pretty cool. And I said Anthony Marino and I come back to him because... I've had so many Buffalo sports media people on mainstream alternative, whatever, over the last couple of years. But just recently, near the end of 2020, I finally got Anthony on the show and I was kicking myself after because I'm like, you know what? This is a really good dude. He's entertaining, speaks great. And I couldn't believe that I didn't have him on before. He was one of my favorite conversations, you know, just shooting the shit, talking some bills like you and I tend to do here. He's a great dude and very underrated guy in the sports media. Like he does not get enough credit. You know, I asked you earlier about the most unsung Buffalo Bill of 2020. If, if I were to ask myself that or ask you that, you know, maybe the most unsung podcaster out there, I'd probably go Anthony Marino, man. I think he's really talented. I think he's good. I um, agree with you.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I think that Anthony does, doesn't get the shine that he probably deserves because he's, he's a soft spoken guy. And sure. he doesn't make a lot of waves and he doesn't have this this uh, this really bombastic sort of uh, explosive personality that gets eyes. But the fact of the matter is, if you listen to his pod and you follow his tweets and you follow him on social media, you realize it's just good, solid, reasonable analysis. And yeah. he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He maintains an appropriate amount of enthusiasm and optimism. He strikes the right amount of balance with not being a homer, but he always manages to make you feel good without you feeling like it's saccharine sweet. It's a little bit like one of those things where you, you, if you eat a lot of ice cream, you might be like, okay, you know what? I have my bowl. I'm done. Right. But the sneaky stuff is when it's just a little bit sweet. There's just a dash of sweetness and then you look down and the entire thing's gone and you're like, well, what happened? That's what Anthony Marino is like, right? There's just a there's a there's a there's a dash of this optimism that's not so it's not Homerish to the point where you think, gosh, you roll your eyes, oh my gosh, here comes Anthony with his crazy takes again, right? That's not who he is, right? And that's an that's an impressive balance to strike because not everybody can do it, not everybody can be critical without being a hater, and not everybody can be optimistic without being a Homer. And so anytime I see someone capable of doing those things, they deserve credit. Anthony's one of them. In addition to just being a genuinely decent person.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like I said, he's one of my uh, favorite interviews, the favorite episodes of this podcast of the past year. Last question, then I'm going to definitely let you go here. And again, for a good quality preview, I'm sure you're going to talk a ton about the Colts on your podcast, Bruce Exclusive, both Thursday and Friday this week. But when you were watching these games last week and watching them, unfold. How did you feel about playing the Colts? Like where did they rank amongst the teams when there was still a lot of possibilities out there? Were you eager to play them? Were you scared to play them? They kind of fall in the middle of teams that you would have liked to see the Bills face in the first round. Like what's your take on facing the Colts? Obviously I wanted the Bills to play the Dolphins sure. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I was, I was definitely interested in them Playing the Dolphins again, I would have preferred that. However,
1: yeah, we we were Jacksonville fans at four o'clock for sure. Yeah.
0: However, the thing that I like about the Colts game is that the Colts are a good team, but they're not a complicated team. They're not complicated on defense. They're not complicated on offense. And because of that, I think that when you have a team like that, talent has a chance has a tendency to win in those games because they're not super complicated. Philip Rivers throws a crap ton of passes to his running backs, and they're going to run power with Jonathan Taylor, right? That's what they're going to do on offense. Now, they're very, very good at those things, but there's going to be a lot of things that are expected. And when you have a good coaching staff that I believe the Bills do, and you have a talented team that I believe the Bills do, you always feel good about your chances against a team that isn't crazy multiple. It's not like Phillip Rivers is going to start coming out and going four verts all the time. I'm not saying he can't throw the ball down the field. He can throw the ball down the field. I'm saying it's just not the onus of the of the Colts. It's just not really what the Colts do from a stylistic. They have a brand with the Colts, and because they have an established brand,
1: it becomes easier to prepare for, and it gives you more confidence that talent's going to win out. How do you how do you feel about playing Saturday at one o'clock? There were six potential time slots. Are you happy? You sad? You you're indifferent to that i could not possibly care less I, the, 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 I, I, the idea that. that the idea that there somehow could be
0: a snub from a time slot is just staggering to me it, it, it just goes to the, the buffalo bills mentality as their fans sometimes they just they look for slights anywhere they can be slighted like this is the same nfl that just puts you in multiple primetime games in a row and we were all, you all changed your Twitter handles to Primetime, whatever his name is like <laughs> Primetime Bruce Nolan. And that, that was less than, you know, less than five months ago, you were Primetime Bruce Nolan. And now all of a sudden you have a playoff game at home at one o'clock on a Saturday. You're like, oh man, the disrespect, man. This is just a, this is crazy is horrible, man. Let it fuel you. Let just disrespect, man. We're going to come out and we're going to, we're going to prove, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. It's a it's a game time, guys. Come on. So <laughs> it, it's just I, I could not possibly care less. If anything, it gives us more rest going into the divisional round if we win.
1: So I'm I'm good with it. Yeah, look look from a football strategic standpoint, I actually like it because if you look at the other teams playing in the AFC, if the Bills win, they're guaranteed one more day of rest than whoever they play in round two. But what I didn't like about it, and again, it has nothing to do with getting screwed over. It's just my own personal mentality that, all right, so we're playing the very first game of six playoff games on the weekend. I'm either going to be in the best mood ever come four o'clock for the whole entire weekend, or I'm going to be in the worst mood ever for the rest of the weekend. Like if the Bills lose, you know, I used to talk about it and you're hundred percent right, by the way. And I see the trends and the numbers in my own show as well. When I have Bills themed uh guest on the bills lose, I don't want to think about football. For, I'm not going to be able to watch any more football. I don't think for the weekend, I'm just going to be depressed. I'm going to admit that I'm going to tune out, but if they win, Oh, it's going to be an awesome weekend. You know what I mean? That's the only thing I kind of wish it would have been maybe a Sunday one o'clock game instead of a Saturday one o'clock game. Cause it's just going to completely screw up my, my mindset for the entire weekend if they lose, but if they win, and it's going to be enjoyable, a very stress-free weekend, you know? Well, I got the Buckeyes on Monday night in the national championship game, too. Think they got a real shot,
0: realistically? I, quite frankly, I didn't think they had a shot against Clemson. Uh, I thought Clemson was going was gonna to beat them up pretty good. So I, at this point, given the way that Ryan Day has historically performed as a coach in big games, I, I, I don't know, man. I, Alabama, I think, is a, is a more talented team. But we've seen the Buckeyes beat Alabama in the past with a different, mind you, with a different head coach, with a third string quarterback. You know, I mean, Cardale Jones owes millions of dollars to a short run that he had as the Ohio State quarterback, one of which was against Alabama. So, yeah. I, I I'm done. I'm done counting against them. I do think Alabama is a more talented team for sure. They have multiple, multiple first round picks on that team and multiple Heisman contenders on that team I mean you know you have a running back a wide receiver and a quarterback who are all in the Heisman hunt I mean come on like that's that's a lie against a, a Buckeye defense that has historically you know not played really great until Clemson so you look at it on paper and you think you know Alabama's just gonna put up a bajillion points but at this point, I, I'm I'm done counting against the Buckeyes. I'll just say, listen, uh, I hope they win. Obviously, I'm a I'm a Buckeye fan. I,
1: I hope they win, but I'm just gonna be along for the ride. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling for them too. Especially after uh, Dabo said that they were what the 11th best team in the country, and then they go out and whoop. Yeah, their Dab- ass. Dabo Dabbo was too. not a uh, was not a Buckeye believer. <laughs> well, I'm a believer of your podcast, man. Every Thursday, every Friday. Check it out. I'm sure it's going to be really good this week. Recapping the Dolphins, looking forward to the Colts at Brooks Exclusive on Twitter. You know you're my favorite guest, man. I love having you on. So thank you as always, dude. Pat, thank you so much for
0: having me, man. You have been, you have been an unbelievable supporter of mine since the beginning. And I I just I I cannot possibly thank you enough for how gracious you've been and uh having me on. And let me talk to your listeners, and 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 you know chopping it up with me, and it just it means a lot. And I appreciate your partnership. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your grace. I appreciate you having me on.
1: All right, folks, that is gonna do it for today's episode, the first of 2021. Couldn't think of a better guest to have on than my man Bruce Nolan. So thank you. Very, very much, Bruce. It's always a huge pleasure to have you on the podcast. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate, review, all that fun stuff. It only takes a handful of seconds to do, and I promise you, it really truly helps me continue to grow this podcast immensely. We're available on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, pretty much anywhere. Future award-winning podcasts are found. That's where you'll find this one. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. Again, I kind of hinted at the top. There's going to be some video elements coming very, very soon on that channel. I'm already putting up some highlight clips from current and past episodes. So lots of cool stuff that'll be going on there. Again, Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter. At Pamoran I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, polls, upcoming guests, uh, just sports talk with fans. It's a lot of fun. I'm on Twitter all the time at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. I end the podcast the same way every single time because it is very important to me to acknowledge all of you who listen. It is much appreciative. I am humbled and grateful for every single person that listens because I know how many great shows there are out there. And when you're giving up 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes of your time to lock into this one, I can't say enough how much it means to me. So thank you very much. Have a good week. Stay safe. I'll be back with a brand new episode on Friday.